0: We'll keep you posted about what's happening next. And finally, please subscribe to this podcast, and don't forget to like and share these recordings with your friends, because it matters what you think.
1: So the title of my talk is, May Life-Sustaining Treatment Be Withheld or Withdrawn, discerning ordinary versus extraordinary means. I'd like to begin with a case. Jenny is 53 years old, and she has been diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. The cancer has spread throughout her body. She is tired, mostly staying in bed. She has lost weight, and she has significant back pain from cancerous tumors. It's not possible to cure the cancer, but she has three options for medical treatment. She could enroll in hospice to control her symptoms, pain management and her other symptoms. She could begin chemotherapy, which would have the aim of slowing the growth of the cancer, shrinking the tumors and enabling her to live longer. She also has the option of radiation, which would have the aim of shrinking the tumors that are causing pain, but would not extend her life. Which should Jenny choose? Consider two positions. The first is a subjectivist view, an ethical subjectivist view, according to which an action is right or wrong just because the individual believes the action is right or wrong. A subjectivist would say that whatever Jenny sincerely believes is right or wrong for her determines what is right or wrong for her, regardless of any other considerations, including, for example, if Jenny believes that physician-assisted suicide is a morally permissible option in this case, given her pain, given her limited life expectancy, a subjectivist would say that Insofar as Jenny believes that it's morally permissible, then it is morally permissible for her. Another position is what we might call medical vitalism. This position says that there is a moral duty to preserve life at all costs. So a medical vitalist would say that Jenny must pursue chemotherapy as the treatment because this is the only of the three options that would enable her to live longer. What is the Catholic position? What should Jenny choose? In this talk, I'm going to be talking about the Catholic tradition on medical treatment decision-making, particularly at the end of life. Briefly, the Catholic tradition includes the writing of Catholic theologians, but it also includes the teaching of the Catholic church. That is the teaching from the Pope and the bishops, which ought to help form a Catholic's conscience. We'll be looking at some of these church teachings in particular. One such document is a document called the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Healthcare Services, which is somewhat of a mouthful, so we usually refer to them as the ERDs. So the ERDs are a document that is put out by the United States Catholic bishops and it essentially summarizes Catholic teaching relevant to healthcare ethics. So according to the ERD is part five of the ERDs, is the truth that life is a precious gift from God has profound implications for the question of stewardship over human life. We are not the owners of our lives and hence do not have absolute power over life. We have a duty to preserve our life and to use it for the glory of God, but the duty to preserve life is not absolute, for we may reject life-prolonging procedures that are insufficiently beneficial or excessively burdensome. (coughs) Suicide and euthanasia are never morally acceptable options. So from this quote, we can see that the Catholic position is not subjectivist. The Catholic position is not that an action is right or wrong just because the individual thinks it's right or wrong. As the ERDs state, it's wrong, for instance, to partake in suicide, to participate in suicide and euthanasia. The ERDs also talk about a duty to preserve life. So we have a negative duty to avoid actions that are directly against the good of human life, and we have a positive duty to promote the good of human life. But the Catholic position is not vitalist either. As the ERD say, life is a gift from God, it's a great good, but the duty to preserve that good is not absolute. We do not need to do everything possible to promote our lives, the good of our lives, the good of our health. Rather, according to the Catholic tradition, how much and how to promote the goods of health and life, it is a matter of prudence. And so it must be discerned. What is prudence? (laughs) So prudence, according to the catechism, which is a compilation of church teaching, as, as many of you I'm sure are familiar with, the catechism defines prudence as the virtue that helps us to discern the true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. So again, so far, we've been talking about the goods of health, the good of life. Take for example, exercise. Exercise contributes to our health, right? But the duty to exercise to promote our health through exercise, is not absolute, or at least I hope it's not (laughs) absolute. We don't have a moral obligation to exercise as much as possible, or even, for example, every day, or even maybe every other day. Rather, when, how, how much, even whether to exercise is a matter of prudence. It must be discerned based on the circumstances. Likewise, medical treatments can preserve our lives, but we don't need to accept all medical treatments. Whether to pursue a particular medical treatment is a matter of prudence that must be discerned based on our circumstances. So the church's position, again, as we see in the ERDs, which involves a duty to preserve life, not to act directly against it, but the duty to preserve life is not absolute. This church's position is neither subjectivist nor vitalist. Rather, the church takes a third position, which we might say is somewhere in between subjectivism and medical vitalism. But what does somewhere in between mean? What more can we say about Catholic medical treatment decision-making? The Catholic tradition distinguishes between ordinary and extraordinary means. I'll define these terms in a moment, but let me make a few notes on the terms first. So when we talk about ordinary means, extraordinary means, we're referring to medical treatment. Ordinary, that term ordinary means, another word that's used in the Catholic tradition is proportionate, proportionate means. And ordinary means or proportionate means are medical treatments that are morally obligatory. Extraordinary means in the tradition are also called disproportionate means, and these are medical treatments that are morally optional. So, this distinction between ordinary and extraordinary means is a moral distinction, it's not a medical distinction. And the moral distinction between ordinary and extraordinary means is used both when discerning whether to withhold or to withdraw treatment. So I think that there's a common misconception, both among Catholics, but also among non-Catholics, non-Christians that I've seen just in secular healthcare as well. There's this sort of intuition that once we've started a treatment, we can't stop it, or at least it's harder to stop it than to never start it to begin with. So consider somebody, who is on a ventilator? There's somewhat of an intuition that it would be wrong to take them off the ventilator if that would result in their death. Whereas if we haven't started them on the ventilator yet, then we have this kind of decision, right? Whether to start it is started or not. But from the secular ethics position as well, perspective, as well as from the Catholic perspective, we can discern permissibly both not to start a treatment, so to withhold a treatment, and also to withdraw a treatment in certain circumstances, as we'll see. So what makes a treatment ordinary? What makes a treatment extraordinary? It's a bit confusing as well, because this terminology also is sometimes used in the medical fields. Medically speaking, we might say that ordinary means, again, in the medical sense, not in the moral sense, We might say that ordinary means in the medical sense refers to treatment that's available, it's effective, it's standard of care. Extraordinary means would refer to the opposite, treatment that's not widely available, treatment, for instance, that's experimental. These are all relevant considerations in discerning ordinary versus extraordinary means in the moral sense. So whether it's available, whether it's effective, All of these things are relevant for determining the moral sense of ordinary versus extraordinary means, but they don't actually map on exactly. I'll say a bit more about this later. But for now, again, I'm emphasizing that we're not talking about the medical sense of these terms, we're talking about the moral sense of these terms. So what makes the treatment ordinary in the moral sense? So the ERDs say that a person has a moral obligation to use ordinary or proportionate means of preserving his or her life. Again, ordinary means are morally obligatory. Proportionate means are those that in the judgment of the patient offer a reasonable hope of benefit and do not entail excessive burden or impose excessive expense on the family or the community. So two things. Must be true for something to be ordinary means, for something to be morally obligatory. One, it, the treatment must offer a reasonable hope of benefit. Two, it must not entail excessive burden. The ERD say, or impose excessive expense on the family or the community, which we, I think, can, could consider an example of an excessive burden. So, must offer a reasonable hope of benefit, must not entail excessive burden. Extraordinary means are the opposite. As the ERDs say, a person may forgo extraordinary or disproportionate means of preserving life. Disproportionate means are those that in the patient's judgment do not offer a reasonable hope of benefit or entail excessive burden or impose excessive expense on the family or the community. Here's a simplified slide (laughs) version of, of of these Points. So ordinary means, again, has to have a reasonable hope of benefit and cannot entail excessive burden. Extraordinary means do not offer a reasonable hope of benefit or entail excessive burden. So for ordinary means, both have to be met. For extraordinary means, only one or the other has to be met. So you could have something that doesn't have any burdens but also doesn't have any hope of benefit in which case it would be extraordinary means or you could some have something that is is quite likely to be successful but it's excessively burdensome and that also would constitute extraordinary means. One way of thinking about what constitutes an excessive burden the Catholic tradition also speaks about weighing benefits and burdens so often it's said that ordinary means are treatment in which the benefits outweigh the burdens. Disproportionate means when the burdens outweigh the benefits. And here you can see why those terms proportionate and disproportionate are also used. So consider in the case of ordinary means, if the benefits outweigh the burdens, we can say that the burdens are proportionate to the benefits extraordinary means, the burdens would be disproportionate to the benefits. A couple of notes on this consideration on the consideration of benefits and burdens. So first, I want to emphasize that when we're considering benefits and burdens, we're considering the benefits and the burdens of the treatment itself, not of the patient's life. So Consider a child that has significant disabilities, who won't ever walk or talk, but who develops appendicitis and needs surgery. It would be wrong to not perform the surgery on the basis that the child needs significant care. The need for significant care is not the result of the treatment itself, it's not the result of of surgery. We could say that the child's life involves burden to the family, to the community as well, but we could not say that we we won't do the treatment on that basis, but rather we have to look at the benefits and the burdens of the surgery for the particular patient. The, The aspects of the patient's life, of course, are going to be relevant in what the burdens and the benefits look like for that particular patient, but again, the, those aspects of the patient's life that involve burdens are not to be the basis for the determination, not to do a treatment. So the benefits and the burdens, we're looking at the benefits and the burdens specifically of the treatment, but the notion of benefits and burdens is actually a pretty broad notion. So we're, we're considering not only the medical benefits and burdens, but also the ERD is mentioned specifically financial. Benefits and burdens, usually burdens, not really benefits, um, but not just medical, not just financial, but psychological, social, moral, and spiritual as well. Also, are benefits and burdens to be considered? So, on that moral, spiritual side, consider a patient who is on a ventilator but needs to go to confession. So, the patient. Having gone to confession, it might be morally permissible to withdraw the ventilator, but that spiritual good is such a great good for the patient that it might be the case that the patient should stay on the ventilator to to enable him to go to confession first. Or for instance, consider a patient who has had a falling out with a family member. There, the consideration might be, again, to keep the patient on the ventilator such that the patient can reconcile first with that family member. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you this. Think about antibiotics. Are antibiotics ordinary or extraordinary means? What do you think? You got it. Yeah, you got it, good. It depends. (laughs) I tell my students that's the answer to every question I ask about whether a particular treatment. If I just tell you the treatment, the answer is always it depends because it depends. (laughs) Depends on the particular patient. It depends on their particular circumstances at the particular time. Um, So just as an example of when antibiotic would likely be ordinary treatment, consider antibiotics in the case of treating bacterial bacterial pneumonia in an otherwise healthy person. Likely, I think there, it would be ordinary means where the benefits would outweigh the burdens. On the other hand, consider a patient who is imminently dying from another cause. That patient develops bacterial pneumonia. It seems that there, the Antibiotics would actually be extraordinary means in that case, we don't have a reasonable hope of benefit if the patient is dying already of another cause. So yes, absolutely. (laughs) It depends. I'm going to note here quickly how As I mentioned before, considerations about availability, effectiveness, standard of care, these are relevant, but they don't map on exactly. Um, So consider here, most of the time, a treatment being ordinary in the medical sense is necessary but not sufficient for the treatment to be ordinary in the moral sense. As we saw, antibiotics for bacterial pneumonia is ordinary in the medical sense, well, we didn't say that, but we're we're (laughs) we're recognizing that right now, that it's available, it's effective, it's standard of care, which is relevant to whether treatment is ordinary in a moral sense, but ordinary in the medical senses, again, it's not sufficient to determine whether it's ordinary in the moral sense, because in the case of the otherwise healthy person, as we've said, it's likely ordinary in the moral sense, and here the medical and the moral senses overlap. However, in the case of someone imminently dying from another cause, it would still be ordinary in the medical sense, but it's not ordinary anymore in the moral sense. Even though the way that I've talked about these two examples, or I've said, well, it's likely <laughs> that in this case it's ordinary. Again, it ties into the answer, it depends. Because while I've specified the case somewhat, right, I haven't just said, it, you know, it's antibiotics, ordinary or extraordinary. I've given you a little bit of information about the patient and their circumstances, but there still could be other circumstances that are relevant that would mean that in the first case, for instance, it's extraordinary. Uh, or maybe in the second case, possibly it could be uh, shifted to ordinary, although that would be a harder, harder thing to come up with an example there. Here's what Pope Pius XII wrote about the need to consider the benefits and burdens of treatment for the particular patient in his or her particular circumstances. He says, normally one is held to use only ordinary means according to the circumstances of persons, places, times and cultures. That is to say means that do not involve any grave burden for oneself or another. A more strict obligation would be too burdensome for most people and would render the attainments of the higher, more important good too difficult life, health, all temporal activities are in fact subordinated to spiritual ends. So again, the Catholic tradition is not subjectivist, but the circumstances of the particular patient matter in determining whether a treatment is ordinary or extraordinary, whether it's morally obligatory or morally optional, including as Pius, the 12th writes, cultural circumstances also matter. Now, I think this can get confusing because when we think of cultural circumstances, we think perhaps of the idea that well, actions are right or are wrong relative to the culture, right? That the culture is what determines whether an action is right or wrong. That's not what Pope Pius twelfth is getting at, rather, He's talking about how variations in culture can have an effect on the benefits and the burdens of treatment. So consider for example, how in different cultures, there might be more support. Uh, Certain cultures certainly have much more support from extended family than for instance, we do in the United States, right? Um, Or there could be certain resources, right? That are either Avail that are available more in a certain culture or not so available in another and so i think these are the kinds of things this variation in cultural support resources that affect what the benefits and the burdens are these are the kinds of things i think that pope pius the 12th has in mind the other thing and the other the main reason i wanted to read this quote is that he gives a reason why the tradition instructs us to weigh the benefits and the burdens in deciding about treatment. Specifically, he says that a more strict obligation would be too burdensome. That it would render the attainment of other goods too difficult. As an example here, think about a patient who is dying from cancer who chooses to forgo continued cancer treatment in order to focus on spending time with her family, to to spend time to prepare spiritually for death. If if as if the Catholic tradition didn't allow us to discern that at a certain point treatment is morally optional based on the lack of reasonable hope of benefit or based on the excessive burden, then as Pope Pius XII says, it would be too difficult for us to attain these higher goods, specifically spiritual goods. Let's go back to the case I started with, Jenny's case. What should she choose now that we've gone through and have come to have a pretty good sense for what these ordinary means, what ordinary means are what extraordinary means are, what this distinction is. So first, with respect to the option of chemotherapy. So in Jenny's case, given that as we know, she's already very tired, she's already lost weight. Chemotherapy is difficult for anyone and for her, in particular, it would be very burdensome. We know that her cancer cannot be cured, that the chemotherapy wouldn't be curative, although it could enable her to live longer. So it, it certainly could have that benefit. I think though that for Jenny, and, and Jenny is a patient that I had, it was fairly clear that chemotherapy could it would entail excessive burden for her at the time and so that it was extraordinary means for her. What about radiation? So radiation certainly would be less burdensome than chemotherapy for Jenny, but it still had the burden of needing to be present for treatment every day. And this would take away from her time with her family. The goal again with the radiation was not to extend her life, but was to to alleviate some of her pain. But even here, Jenny, and and I'll tell you, Jenny ultimately did not pursue radiation. She is from another country and her children were still in this other country. She wanted to be able to say goodbye to them and she wouldn't have access to this treatment. She wouldn't have access to radiation, really to any sort of medical care while she was there. And so in her case as well, given her desire to spend time with her family where she wouldn't have access to the treatment, I think it's correct to say that it was extraordinary means in her case as well. And so Jenny could decide to forgo both chemotherapy and radiation on the basis that both of them for her were extraordinary means. So I want to also, and I I put back the original ERD quotes up here, I want to also draw your attention to the language of may forgo, right? So a person may forgo extraordinary or disproportionate means of preserving life. That we may forgo extraordinary means seems to imply that we don't need to forgo extraordinary means, right? So for Jenny, she could have decided to pursue chemotherapy and or radiation even if both were extraordinary means for her you could also think of someone who is on a ventilator but they're expecting the birth of a grandchild right and and again they might decide to continue on the ventilator even if this ventilator for them is extraordinary means because they want to be there for the birth of the grandchild but now back to this quote. So the quote from Pope Pius XII. There's more to this one. So Pope Pius XII says, as we read, life, health, all temporal activities are in fact subordinated to spiritual ends. On the other hand, on the other hand, one is not forbidden to take more than the strictly necessary steps to preserve life and health as long as one does not fail in some more serious duty. So in other words, one may forego extraordinary means as long as one does not fail in some more serious duty. So what could he have in mind here? And he he doesn't elaborate on this in the the address where, where he says this. Where would we have a case of extraordinary means that involves where pursuing that treatment might involve failing in some more serious duty? One thing you could have in mind is where the treatment itself involves some kind of wrongdoing. Um, so one example that comes to mind is say that the treatment itself involves, for instance, embryonic stem cells from an aborted baby, right? So there, um, we might say that 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 treatment itself involves involves cooperation with this this wrongdoing. I think another possibility that he has in mind is where the burdens of the treatment vastly outweigh the benefits, but there's a desire, there's a, a drive to preserve life at all costs. So it's where there's this tendency toward the vitalist mentality, I think. And I think, so what what could be wrong with this? I think we could say that the vitalist mentality in a way makes the same mistake as the subjectivist. Mentality, and that both are in a way asserting this kind of complete control over life. The subjectivist says that we are the ones who determine when it's moral to end our lives. The vitalist wants to have the power to sustain our lives forever. The catechism says this life and physical health are precious gifts entrusted to us by God, we must take reasonable care of them, taking into account the needs of others and the common good. So this is very much along the lines that we saw in the ERDs, right? that life is a gift from God. The catechism also says if morality makes morality requires respect for the life of the body, it does not make it an absolute value. Again, similar to what the ERD said, that we don't have an absolute duty to preserve life. The catechism continues. It rejects a neo-pagan notion that tends to promote the cult of the body, to sacrifice everything for its sake. So again, I think there's this there's this sense that that the the vitalist sense, which I think um, the vitalist position, which I think many understand misunderstand the church to to take that position. I think many Catholics and many non-Catholics might assume that that's the position that the the Catholic church takes. But in fact, it seems that the church thinks that there's a moral mistake in that view. So back to the Pope Pius the 12th slide, the Pope Pius the 12th quote, what kind of cases can we think of where it's extraordinary means of treatment, the burdens outweigh the benefits, but it would actually seem wrong to pursue the treatment. I had a few cases when I was working in the hospitals um, where it, it seemed to be this situation where it was extraordinary means and it actually seemed wrong to pursue the treatment. So two in particular that I'm thinking of, one uh, involved, actually I had more than one case like this, but it involved, it impl- so, this kind of type of case involved uh, pediatric cases and, and, and newborns and these are just the, some of the hardest cases where the baby, the babies were not doing well and it was, it was clear that the babies weren't going to live long. Um, but the parents and, and as a mother, I can only ima- imagine the parents couldn't accept that. Um, and so the parents kept pushing for treatment to give them a little bit more time with their babies. And it got to a point where, in, in a couple of these cases, where the the nurses and the doctors just said, we just feel like we're harming the baby at this point. Um, again, these are just some of the hardest cases, but I do think that... Could be an example where it's extraordinary treatment in that case. Um, The parents want to have more time with the child, but they also have a duty to ensure that their child doesn't suffer unnecessarily, right? Um, Another case along these lines, in the case of an adult patient who was dying from cancer, uh, and kind of similarly, he couldn't, he wasn't able to accept that. He wasn't ready to accept that. And so he was not interested in refusing to sign a DNR order. Um, In his case, it was certain that CPR would be ineffective um, given where he was in the dying process and how advanced the cancer was. And so the team felt that they couldn't in good conscience perform CPR on him, because again, they just felt like they would be harming him as he died. Um, and that was another case where he, it was extraordinary means, the CPR would have been extraordinary means for him. And he there had a duty to consider, I think, not just his his own desire, uh, you know, not to, to live longer, and in that case, the CPR wouldn't have been effective for that. Um, and so he also had a desire to consider the impact on the medical team, um, and these are just the hardest cases. And so, to say, well, he, he, you know, he had a duty to do this, but we can understand why he he wasn't able to. Uh, he did eventually consent to the to the DNR order, um, but it was difficult for him. Okay, so a couple of examples again, where as Pope Pius the Twelve says we have extraordinary means of treatment, but it might actually be morally wrong to pursue that treatment. One more, one more thing that I'll end with here, and this question often comes up, who decides, right? Who decides whether a treatment is ordinary or extraordinary means? If you noticed in the ERD language, both when ERDs are either talking about ordinary means and when they're talking about extraordinary means, they say that these are in the judgment of the patient, in the judgment of the patient, which makes sense. If we're weighing benefits and burdens, we can, we, it, it seems correct that the patient is the one who knows best what the benefits and the burdens are for, for him or her, right? Um, because people value different things. So what counts as a burden for one person might not really matter to another person. Um, What counts as a benefit might not, might actually be a burden for another person, right? So people value different things and they weight them differently. So we don't all value the, the good of spending time with our family as much as you know, the next person. So we value different things. We weight them differently in relation to each other. And so if this is what the judgment in part consists in weighing these benefits and burdens against each other, then it makes sense that it's best done from the perspective of the patient. The ERDs say this, the free and informed judgments made by a competent adult patient concerning the use or withdrawal of life-sustaining procedures should always be respected and normally complied with unless it is contrary to Catholic moral teaching. So in most cases, if you're talking about in a hospital setting, in a healthcare setting, in most cases, as we've as we've said as i've said the patient is in the best place to evaluate to weigh the benefits and the burdens and i would mention that there's really a lot of overlap here between church teaching and the way that people typically make medical decisions often i had the experience of talking through Ordinary versus extraordinary means, but not, not really using that language, but just the weighing of the benefits and the burdens, either with a doctor or a patient or, or the family. And, and from the doctors, I often had a response of, you know, that, that's, that's just how doctors make decisions. They're, they're weighing the benefits and the burdens, right? If the doctor recommends treatment for you, it's because they've determined that the benefits outweigh the burdens for you of that treatment. Um, And you still have a decision also to make, right? Because you might know about other benefits and burdens that the doctor doesn't know about that are particular to you and your situation. Um, But I do think that there's a lot of overlap here between the Catholic tradition and just the way that medical decisions are made generally speaking. What ERD 59 points us to though, is that the decision, even though it's from the judgment of the patient, the perspective of the patient, the decision still has to be reasonable to say the average person. And there are situations when a patient will make a decision that just seems obviously contrary. to catholic teaching maybe it's a case where the the benefits just so vastly outweigh the burdens that it just seems to be clearly ordinary means of treatment or maybe it's a situation where the patient wants to pursue, pursue a treatment that is that is unethical in and of itself right and so what erd 59 is pointing us to is that in these cases the catholic hospital or the Catholic doctor normally should respect and comply with the wishes of the patient, unless it is contrary to Catholic teaching. But that's not to say that it's forced on the patient. Um, This legally would be battery, right? And so what sometimes can happen is that a patient might be transferred to another physician or to another facility. All right, I'm going to end there officially, but we can have a discussion, open up for
0: questions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at wwwthomisticinstituteorg slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith